I wonder if you're familiar with mysteries or crime mysteries or whether it's a book or a movie. Uh, there's something about mysteries that fascinate us as people, right? We, we love to figure out the clues, piece together all the evidence, see if we can get it right or if we can get it right before someone else, right? There are even games about this clue. Um, and we are, we're people who love to, to figure things out, right? And so usually during these mysteries, there are, there are little pieces of evidence that are scattered throughout the story, right? And you, you see little, little evidences, little things that then develop as the plot goes on. And then when you get to the end, it's, it's like a light bulb goes off and it just all clicks. You, you can look back and you can see, oh, that's, that's what that was. That's how that fit together, right? You can see how all the pieces come together. And that's kind of how the Bible fits together the covenants and promises of God. They're all pieced together where we get, we get little glimpses. We get pieces scattered throughout the Old Testament. And we, we know they're important. But then once we get later in the Bible, we understand, oh, that's why this matters. That's how this fits together. This is the, the full picture that we have now as we get later in the Bible. And this morning, as we're in Genesis, we get, we get one of those little, little pieces, those little, the little evidence that will, that will grow and become this bigger, fuller picture later in the Bible as we see Abraham receiving a little promise, receiving a little fulfillment of God's promise this morning. And so there's much more to this promise than at first glance might meet the eye. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start, we're going to read a little bit and then make some comments and then read some more and so on. But we'll start this morning in Genesis 22, verses 20 through 24. And the word of the Lord says this, Genesis 22, starting in verse 20. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. So, at first glance, we look at this and we think, what is the importance of this? I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible in your Bible reading, if you try to go through the Bible in a year and you think, you get to genealogies or you get to the numbers and you think, well, it's going to be a fast reading because I just get to read through this and then I'm done and I don't really know why this is here, right? But we remember from 2 Timothy that all scripture all scripture is given by inspiration of God so that it's profitable for us. It's good for us, even, even these parts of scripture, right? And so that's why as we're, as we're going through the life of Abraham, we don't, we don't skip parts of it. Although we might skip a part this morning, but I'll explain that later. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't skip parts of it because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable. And so as we look at this in Genesis 
genealogies, they help carry the story along. They, not just, they don't just give us markers on, hey, this is the end of a section and the start of a new section, but they help us anticipate what's going to come next. And so we had just passed the sacrifice of Isaac, where Abraham passes this test of offering his son. And as Abraham has fully committed to the plan of God, now we get this genealogy and we see that, well, God's been working. God knew what was going to happen, and God's been working behind the scenes, even in generations, to bring about a wife for Isaac. So God, is, God has been having this in the plan. He's been working towards it, and he's going to work out these promises. And now we get a, a little glimpse into how that's going to happen. It's going to happen through, through Isaac getting married to Rebekah, and that's what this points to in this passage And so this genealogy helps us see how God is fulfilling that. So just a little comment on that. That's hopefully helpful as we read through genealogies. But let's let's continue. Let's read Genesis chapter 23. And this is where we'll spend a little bit more time this morning. Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns." It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. Now my Lord, hear me. No, my, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give, it, give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephraim, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the fields, accept it from me, and I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephraim in Machpelah, was, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in it, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. Before all who went in at the gate of the city, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So as we come to this passage, this is 
This is sort of the beginning of the end of Abraham's life. We see Sarah dies in this passage. The mother of Isaac, the mother of the promised child, dies here. And Abraham, as he mourns, as he mourns for his wife, he then negotiates to buy this cave to bury Sarah in. And so Abraham wants to make sure that he's providing for his wife. He's taking care of his family here at the end. We'll see that in the next chapter as well. But he wants to make sure that this is not something that's just given to him. We read this account and it's, it really seems like this, uh, it's almost like when you are going out to eat with someone and someone says they'll pay for it and you're like, no, I'll pay for it. No, I'll pay for it. That's kind of what it appears like in this formality of negotiating. But Abraham wants to make clear that no one else is giving this field to him. God has promised to give him land, this land. And so he wants to make sure that no one else can say, I gave it to you. He wants to make sure it's known that God gave this land, that God's provided for him the ability to buy it, and God is providing this land for him. And so he makes sure that there's, there's no obligation, that he pays for it, he pays the full price for it. And he buries Sarah. And if we think about this, this is, this is coming to the end of Abraham's life. And Abraham here has only received a little promise, a little promise of receiving this land. But he goes ahead and he buries Sarah here in the land. And that's, that's important. That shows an act, of, an act of faith by Abraham. Because he, he trusts that this is not the end, that death won't be the end of God's promises, that God will still give him this land, even though it's not going to happen during his lifetime. He trusts that God is going to bring this about. And so that he is going to bury Sarah here. He's going to be buried here. He's going to trust that this is going to be the land that God has promised him, that God will give to him. And so really burying Sarah here is, is an act of faith. It's an act of faith that God's plan isn't over yet. Even though Sarah's passing away, even though he's passing away, God's, God's plan is not done yet. And that's really what what faith is for us, right? Faith is believing that God's plan is, is bigger than us. It's, it's believing that even though Abraham, as important as he was in God's plan, we read the Old Testament of how Abraham was a central figure in bringing about God's promises, God's plan, God's covenant. God's plan was still even bigger than Abraham. It still carried on after Abraham. And it reminds us that just as God's plan was bigger than Abraham, went on after Abraham, God's plan is, is bigger than us. It will continue to go on after us. And so we should, we should believe that. We should remind ourselves of that, that what God is doing in the world is bigger than just us. It's bigger than the, the bubble we live in, so to speak. It involves the whole world throughout all time. And it, it was in motion before we were here. It will be in motion after we are gone that God's plan will still get carried out. And so at the end of the day, that helps us to not, it helps us to be content, really. We're not, we don't think that we're irrelevant or what we're doing is irrelevant because, well, God's, God's going to got to keep doing things. So He's going to keep doing things. How is it? How does it matter if I'm a part of that? No, it, it helps us remember that 
we're not irrelevant, but we're we're not as important as we think we are. Because usually that's that's the way we lean, right? As individuals, we think we're we're more important than we really are in God's plan. And so as God carries out this plan, we can we can be content. We can rest knowing that, hey, once I'm gone, God's work will still continue. It will still continue in the life of fellow Christians around us. It will still continue in our families or in in the the places that we've been. God will still continue to work. He can still continue to work even without us, even after we're gone. And that's that's a comforting thing to remember that God's God's promises are about more than just us and what we can do, but it's about him and what he has promised and what he will do. And so that, that is really where Abraham is in this chapter. And that leads us really, as Abraham's waiting, as he's towards the end, that leads us to Genesis chapter 25. So usually I don't like to skip chapters, but 24 is about Isaac and we're really trying to focus in on Abraham's life. And this is going to be the last in our series on Abraham's life. We started in Genesis 12. Now we're working our way through. Well, we could say that Genesis 24, just like Abraham was looking after his wife, Sarah, and taking care and doing the final things that he needed to do for his family and Sarah in Genesis 23, he's doing that for Isaac in 24. He's making sure Isaac is taken care of, has a wife, and that his line continues. And then after 24, we read about the end of Abraham's life in Genesis 25. And it says this in Genesis 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Laomim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Bir Lahai Roy. And so here again, this is kind of wrapping up the life of Abraham, but we see that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the life of Abraham, right? We see what his life was like. We see that we see his successes, but we also see his shortcomings and how he was uh, involved with multiple people, multiple women, right? And, but even as Abraham has other children, he's still, he's still remembering the promise. He's still remembering that his plan is going to come through Isaac. And so he makes sure, kind of like with Ishmael, he sends off these other children. He sends them off, but he only gives his inheritance to Isaac. He knows he's still fully committed to Isaac as he has been. And really this is 
this leaves us waiting. This, uh, there are a lot more names here, again, like another genealogy, and it, it leaves us waiting. We see that Abraham's offspring, besides Isaac, whether it's Ishmael, whether it's these other children, they've, they've grown and become great nations, so to speak, already. That they have kings and princes coming from them. They're presented to us as large people groups, right? But here Abraham is at the end of his life. He sees the, the multiplying of all these other children, offspring. But here he still only has Isaac, Isaac, the promised child, who's promised to become a great nation, who's promised to multiply like the sands of the seashore, or the stars in the heaven, he's still only one, whereas God is seeming to, to bless all these others and made them great. And so here at the end, it's really as though Abraham has to wait in faith. He really has to believe that God's going to do this, but it's going to be later. It's not going to be during my lifetime. It reminds him that there's still more to come. He's still waiting. And so this is, really, this is how we experience life a lot of times, where we, we have to wait for the promises of God. Sometimes it, it seems like everyone else or everything else seems to be going good for other people, Right, but things are still challenging, or it's not as good for us, it seems. Life is hard, right? We know in the Bible that that's, that's guaranteed, that's, that we will suffer affliction, tribulation as Christians. Life is hard for us sometimes. We have to bear our cross. And sometimes it seems like other people have it good, but if God has promised this to us, how, well, how does that fit in? How, how come we aren't experiencing that? But this is when we, we need to be like Abraham and trust that what's coming later, that God has promised that his promises haven't failed, but these promises will come later. We're not missing out on these promises, this goodness, this blessing, but it's not all going to come now. It's a, it's a delayed gratification, so to speak. Our day will come even though it's almost always delayed, but we, we keep trusting, we keep this hope that, that these promises will come, even if it's after we pass away in this life and we wait for the promises in the future in heaven. And so this is how Abraham's life ends, right? This is the end. He's, he's waiting for more. All the promises that God gave were not fulfilled during his lifetime. He's waiting for it. And so I want to spend the, the rest of our time this morning thinking about how God's promises work, because this is really a great example of it, of how God's promise was kind of fulfilled with Abraham, but it was, it was bigger and it was still coming and there was still more to it. And that, that helps us to understand the promises of God better as well. So we see in this passage that God starts to fulfill the land promise. You remember these promises that God made. Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17, God tells Abraham, lift up your eyes, look around all around you, north, south, east, west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Arise, walk through the land, for I will give it to you. Same thing God says in Genesis 17, 8. He makes this promise. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, 
all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so God promised this to Abraham, right? He promised to give him the land. And yet we've seen in our passage that Abraham ends his life and he only has a cave. He only has this little piece of land. So does that mean that God's promise didn't happen for him? Did it mean that God failed on his promise and that Abraham really wasted his life trusting God, following God, because God wasn't shown to be trustworthy? He didn't keep his promises? No. No, he wants to... Abraham ends his life knowing that God will keep his promises. He knew that God wasn't going to do it just during his lifetime. We read that in Hebrews, right? He was still looking. He knew that, yes, God had promised this, but it was coming later. That even though his promise didn't happen now, that didn't mean his promise was no good or didn't come to pass. And we can understand that clearly from what God's promises God promised to Abraham as well. We know that he didn't fail on his promises, that even though it wasn't fulfilled during his lifetime, it was coming. So think about the promises that God gives to us as Christians, right? There's, there's holiness. He promises us perfect holiness like he is holy. He promises us eternal life with him, all things being made new, kind of like we read this morning in Revelation 21 right? We get a little, a little taste of those things right now, a down payment. The Bible would say we get a down payment of those things now, but, but the fullness of them is later. Just like with Abraham's life, he got a little taste, but the fullness of it was later. And so that's how God seems to usually work with his promises. It's not all right now that we have a hope, we have an anticipation of what he's going to do later. It's not it's not maybe best during our life right now, but the best is yet to come later. And so the promise of land wasn't fully fulfilled for Abraham, but we see it later, right? You remember when Joshua entered the promised land, when they conquered Canaan and the end of Joshua, the statement is made that the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it, they settled there, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hand. Not one, of the, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's in Joshua 21. Right, So they had to wait. They had to wait over 400 years for this promise to come to pass. But it did happen. It did come to pass. God kept his promise, even though that promise took a long time. And so that's the same for us. We, we can remember that, yeah, we want things now, but we can be content knowing that it will happen. It will happen. We can trust in God's faithfulness. But that's not the end of the story. If you remember, that's not the end of the story with the land because Israel, you remember, was in the land of Canaan, but eventually they were cast out of the land. They were exiled, you remember. And so they were no longer in the promised land. And so around this time, right before the time of exile, during it, right after the time, the prophets, if you read Isaiah, Ezekiel, 
and all the prophets really, they start to understand that this promise that God had promised for this land was about, it was about more than just this little plot of land in Canaan, that God was really showing that something more was going to happen, something more was coming. There was something bigger. The seed of David, they prophesied, the seed of David, the coming king, the Messiah, would reign not only over the land of Canaan, but over the whole world. Over the whole world, his reign would extend. His kingdom would be, have no end, and the glory of God would spread throughout the world. And so they, they saw, the prophets saw that these promises that started with Abraham, that God fulfilled in the land, there was, still, there was still more to them and that God was not done working. We see that at the end of Isaiah. He prophesies about a new heavens and a new earth. We see that in Psalm 72 where it talks about the king having dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, that his kingdom, the whole earth, will be filled with the glory of God. And so these are, these are what the prophets anticipated. They knew, well, God's plan wasn't going to stop here with this land. It was going to spread out and cover the whole earth. And that's what they were waiting for, this, this new heaven, this new earth, which then gets picked up in Revelation, and we remember that again. And so these prophets knew that this really, this plan was God's plan from the beginning. God didn't start this promise of land in Genesis 12. Right, God started this promise of land in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve. You remember what he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right, so God's plan from the beginning was that people made in his image would spread out over the whole earth and fill the world with his glory. And so this promise to Abraham was a little part of that, how the people of God even though Adam and Eve had failed, God then made this promise to Abraham that him and his descendants would display the glory of God in their land. But then we see them fail as well and be exiled. But we see in the Old Testament the anticipation that a king would come and he would fulfill this promise, this plan of God, where one would come and perfectly display the glory of God in the land and reign over all the land, perfectly displaying the glory of God. And that is Jesus. And when we get to the New Testament, we read of the kingdom of God spreading out over the whole world. We read of how God's glory will fill the whole world and the covenants, the promises that Israel and Abraham and Adam didn't perfectly fulfill, Jesus perfectly fulfilled. So that through Jesus, this king of kings, this, this new kingdom, Will, that he will usher in, will fill the whole world and the whole earth will be filled with his glory as God intended in the beginning. And that's, that's really the picture that the Bible ends with in Revelation 21, which we read this morning, where everything is made new. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And so this is what started in the Garden of Eden. And this is what God's plan was for Abraham to be a part of this plan of displaying the glory of God in this land. But we see it doesn't stop there. It continues 
to grow God's plan is bigger. And then when Jesus comes, he fulfills this and now has started to make a new people, a new creation who will display the glory of God and one day will inhabit the whole world, displaying the glory of God throughout the whole world in the new creation. And that is, that's really God's promise of this land. If you want to trace it from beginning to end, God's plan is bigger. His promises are bigger. As we said earlier, his, his plans and promises are bigger than us. We're a part of that. We're a part of displaying his glory, what he's like, what it means to know him. We're a part of displaying that to the people around us. But it's so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger so that eventually God's glory will fill not just this room, not just sulfur, hopefully, but the whole world. And we trust that we don't know when that's going to happen. Just like Abraham, we're left waiting right now, but we trust that it will happen because this is God's plan from the beginning and we know that he is faithful and will keep his plan and his promises. So let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have from beginning to end, you've shown us your plan to fill the world with your glory. We thank you for how you give us little bits and pieces of that throughout the Old Testament and how you fill in the picture with Jesus of how Jesus is this king who will reign over the whole world. We pray that we would, we would submit to Jesus as our king, that we would follow him and look like him and display your glory to those around us so that others would see it and glorify you as well. God, we pray that we would have opportunities to talk about your glory and how you will come and reign over the whole world in goodness and in perfect righteousness with others. We pray that we would be able to share that with others, that others would be a part, be brought into this kingdom as well. God, we pray that you will continue to work these truths in our lives, continue to give us a big picture of who you are. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.